Hi, welcome to Master Your Mind with me, Marissa Peer, teaching you the secrets to harness the powerful potential of your mind so you can have a fulfilled and happy and extraordinary life. Send your questions or your problems you'd love me to solve to podcast at marissapeer.com. Hi, everyone. Today we're speaking to Coot Blackson, who's written two international bestsellers. My favorite is You Are the One. He's also a world renowned international speaker. And he's going to talk to us today about the magic of surrender. I know many people get very mixed up with surrender and think it's giving in. They've heard of being a surrendered wife or a surrendered spouse. So, welcome, Coot. And I'm going to go right in with asking you to tell us from your perspective. What does surrender mean? Yeah, I think in, in so many ways we have missed so many misconceptions about the word surrender. You know, it's kind of like going to the dentist that we know we should do it, but often we don't want to do it. And so there's this kind of idea that a surrender is weak, that surrender is passive, that if you surrender, you won't manifest your goals, your dreams, desires. If you surrender, is abdicating your responsibility. It means not taking action, sitting there doing nothing. If you surrender, you're being a victim. If you surrender, you're being a doormat. If you surrender, you won't manifest those dreams that you have. And so really, I think that surrender is the most powerful thing that we could do. I really feel that surrender is the password to freedom. When I look at the great ones, whether it was Jesus, whether it was Buddha, whether it was Gandhi, whether it's Mother Teresa, whether it's Bruce Lee or Muhammad Ali or, or, or Mandela, you know, Martin Luther King, at some point, they all reached that moment when they surrendered themselves to a vision that was bigger than themselves. They surrendered themselves to life. And so I think it's the key to the great ones. And so surrender really is, it's about letting go of control or the idea or the illusion of control that we think that we have. Surrender is uh, when we stop trying to force and manipulate life to fit into our, shall we say, limited idea of how we think life should be based on our ego, based on our identity, which is really uh, kind of set into motion from our past and our conditioning. To surrender is to let go of the idea of who we think we should be and the way we think life should be. And it's the willingness to be open. It's the willingness to allow. It's the willingness to be curious. The willingness to be open to the authentic essence of our soul's expression is the willingness to allow ourselves to be open to life, to be open to our truth, to be open to our most authentic nature expressing. And so I think surrender, to me, surrender is the key to magic. I think when we surrender, we're truly open, we're truly available. And I think in that availability, we we no longer put limits on life. We no longer put limits on the universe. And so I think surrender is, is the key to magic. And that's why I say, if you want more magic in your life, you have to surrender. And, and yet we've been conditioned otherwise. And I know your book is indeed the magic of surrender, but if yeah. surrender is so magical, why do we have such a hard time yeah. doing it? Yeah, I think, well, well, here's what I want to say is, is, and I think that's a really great question. I would say that I want people to reframe, so because we've been told if surrender feels difficult, it feels hard, it feels challenging. But what I just want to reframe as a possibility is that surrender is the most natural thing for us as human beings. It's actually harder, I think, to 
resist and hold on and force and control than to surrender and let go. It's just that from childhood, based on our conditioning and all the survival mechanisms that we learn to develop, all of the survival me mechanisms that we learn to, uh, uh, to, to function and survive in order to avoid pain, in order to not feel the pain of what's going on around us, in order to protect our emotions, protect our feelings, protect our sensitivities, in order to get love, fit in, be validated. We became a, uh, we, we learned to become a, a person. We learned to develop a persona, a role, a mask in order to get love, validation and approval. And as a result, we hold very tightly to this person that we think we are we hold very tightly to this identity that we have created ourselves to be often unconsciously and so for our ego for our sense of self surrender which is a letting go is a willingness to question ourselves it can feel like a death of ourselves or really a death of what we've been conditioned to be who we've been conditioned to be and who we think we are and so what i just want to propose is Surrender is natural. Surrender is easy. Just even just that reframe, I think, can open things up. If I don't know if folks are seeing this right now, but if you're listening, I'm holding this, this sort of tripod type thing. Imagine you're holding a pen or something. I mean, to, to hold on to this is actually harder. To let go of this is actually much easier. It's just that we've been conditioned to hold on. So I just want people to realize. Stop telling yourself that surrender is hard. It feels hard, but it's actually the most natural thing to let go. It's just that we've been conditioned to hold on to our beliefs. We've been conditioned to hold on to our stories. We've been conditioned to hold on to who we think we are. We've been conditioned to believe that who we are is who we really are. And we don't really question ourselves. And that's why I think for the ego, surrender is, it can seem scary and difficult because part of the ego's job is to reinforce our sense of self and who we think ourselves to be. I would also say that surrender on a spiritual level, I think, is hardwired into our physiology. It's actually hardwired into the nature of our being. The divine, the universe life, whatever folks believe, is reminding us that surrender is the nature of life, is the nature of reality, is the nature of every moment, is the nature of existence. From the moment we're born, we're born free, but we begin to age. And as we, you know, age one, age two, age three, age 30, 40, 50, we, our body changes, you know, we get wrinkles, the hair falls out. What about out. fighting? What, what about fighting back? Because as you say that, I'm thinking, imagine you get diagnosed with an illness. Yes. And you have a choice. Shall I just surrender and accept that? Okay, so, so, I, so, so I just want to just go into that question with a story because I had that exact situation with my mother. And that's what inspired the book of the magic of surrender. This wasn't the book yeah. I thought I was going to write. Tell me the so, story about your mother. So in 2016, I'm traveling the world on a high with my first book being a bestseller. I get a phone call from my father. He says, your mother's dying of cancer. Now my mother was the woman I loved the most. She raised me. I knew love because of her. She was my everything. And so to get this phone call, literally, Marissa shattered my heart. It broke my heart into pieces in that moment. Mm -hmm. And I started, my mother lived in London. And so I started to fly back and forth from Los Angeles to London every month to be with her. My intention was, I'm going to save her. I'm going to heal her. I'm going to fight for her. I'm going to keep her alive. I'm going to feed her green powders and alternative therapies. And 
within, I would say, within two months, I began to realize that she was going. I began to feel that. I, I saw it. I felt it. And it forced me to surrender. In that surrender, that didn't mean I didn't show up fully. That didn't mean I didn't give her everything. That didn't mean I didn't try to educate her and give her healthy smoothies. But I had to surrender in that surrender for myself. And I'll tell you for her in a moment, in that surrender for myself, it freed me up to stop resisting. And it freed me up in such a profound way to fully embrace death and embrace the preciousness of mm -hmm. every single second that I had with my mother, because I realized in that moment, she's probably going. I was open to her living. I was open to her being healed, but I realized she was probably probably going and it made every second precious. Now I also, for my mother, she did her best. She ate healthily, she drank water, she did some, some alternative therapies, she did her best. When the doctors told her, so it's not like she just gave up. When the doctors told her, there's nothing more we can do. Probably, possibly, we don't know how long you have to live. I looked at my mother, and this is where I realized the power of surrender. I looked at her and I said, are you afraid? She said two things. She said, no, I'm not afraid because I know I'm not just this body, that I'm a spirit, I'm a soul, that my consciousness is beyond this body and I'll be with you from the other side. And I said to her, is there anything that I can do? Is there anything I can do to make your last days easier? And here was the key for me. She said, not to get sort of woo-woo with people, but she said, there's nothing I want. There's nothing I need you to do. She said, all I really want is what God wants for my life. And I'm open. In that moment, I realized for this entire year that she didn't cry. She wasn't resisting. She didn't ever felt like a victim. She showed up fully. She gave 100%. And she had such a sense of peace and equanimity and neutrality and calmness through this whole process while she gave everything. So what I want to make clear is surrender doesn't mean giving up. You know, I, I hear that, and that's a beautiful story, but what about people who don't want to surrender, who say, I'm going to fight this with everything I've so, got? Yes, so fight. So, so fight it with everything you've got, give everything you've got, you know, throw everything at the kitchen sink, because I think when you give 100% of yourself to life, to a relationship, to a situation, it's much easier to surrender. If things don't go according to plan, it's much easier to surrender because you know there's nothing else you can do. Anytime I've been in a relationship in the past and I have given 100% and it didn't work and I broke up and I left heartbroken, so long as I knew that there was nothing else I could give, there was always, it doesn't mean it wasn't painful and heartbreaking or saddening or there was grief, but there was a part of me that always knew there's nothing else I could give. And that brought a level of peace and a level of calmness. And so surrender means give everything, give 100% and do your best to remain open, knowing that if it doesn't go according to plan or if it doesn't work out, You've given your best and that's all you can do. And that doesn't mean there won't be pain and sadness and grief. Because I think, look, at the end of the day, even when things don't work out how we want them to or go according to plan, for me, that year with my mother turned, what started off as the worst year turned out to be the best year 
it, it was honestly, Marissa, the best year of my, my life. I got to sit with her in chemo. I got to hold her hand. I got to see her make a cup of tea. I got to watch my mother Japanese. I got to watch her making sushi. All of these things I took for granted. And even though the end outcome wasn't what I wanted, it taught me so much. And the journey that I got to go on was so, so beautiful. So give everything. But don't get attached to the outcome that you think that you want, because in so many ways, all I'm saying is when you surrender, you mm -hmm. remain open to the intelligence of life. You remain open to life. And many times what we think we want is not really what we truly need or it may yeah, not be what is that. truly in alignment with our with our true soul's um, I do get that, evolution. but I also get I also get that sometimes when you have an outcome, that's what makes you a fighter. You know, the very few people that got out of 9-11 were the ones that yeah. just wouldn't surrender. I'm just interested in the other side of that, which is when you are fighting for an outcome and you will not take no for an answer. That's also, but maybe, maybe that is... But that is a surrender too. That, yeah. that, see, yeah. see, see, what you're saying is so brilliant because... When you say, you know, this is what I feel. I'm going to fight for this outcome. I'm not going to go because you feel this is true and you give everything. You are actually surrendering to something within yourself. You're surrendering to a deeper truth. You're surrendering to giving 100%. So that is a level of surrender as well. That, that that's There's not a guarantee that you're going to get the outcome you want. But here's what I've also found. The journey that you go on. Dreams to me are evolutionary. And I think one of the gifts of dreams is not just for the outcome, but the journey that the dream and the vision takes us on because it forces us to face parts of ourselves. It forces us to let go of beliefs. It forces us to grow and evolve and grow up and become more of who we really are. And that's also a gift as well. So I think you're right in saying fight, give everything, give 100%. Tell me about your liberation experience. That sounds extraordinary. Taking people through India for 14 days with one change <laughs> of clothes and no passport so they couldn't say i've had enough i'm i'm going to the airport so tell me all about that tell me some stories about what that's like to go through india for 14 days with one change of clothes and why why do that it's uh, a little hard to describe because it's such a unique experience that anything i speak to will be limited but i'll do my best um you know i was coaching people for many years one on one and I went to India in my early 20s and I had a very profound experience when I was on the back of the train, you know, shaved my head, had a backpack, gave up everything, decided I wasn't going to come back to the West until I found certain answers for myself, a certain peace in my own heart. Mm -hmm. Found myself on the back of a train in Bihar, which is the poorest state in India. I, I saw a woman with a kid that was literally hanging off of the train and my heart cracked open. And I thought, wow, we live in a world where we can take people to the moon and yet we can't feed kids. And, and I was in the sardine can situation and I just felt the suffering of humanity. And then I had this vision as I was looking at this woman where I felt the oneness that we were interconnected. We were from different backgrounds, different education, different ethnicities, but there was a oneness that connected us together. And I thought, wouldn't it be amazing if I was able to take president of the United States or the president of the country, the head of a, a corporation, an Oprah Winfrey type of person, someone in a leadership position to have this experience that I'm having where my heart is being cracked open and, and I'm kind of unconditioning so much of my belief system and identity 
and it wouldn't be amazing if they were on this train and how would that impact how they led the world? How would that impact how they lived their life and the impact that they could make on society? And so years passed and I got the vision, create that journey where the journey is, I take one person, I take away your passport, I take away your money, you have a backpack, a pair of clothes, no idea where you're going. And uh, I put, I, I put my, I create a process and I put my clients in situations uh, of complete unknown. And I put my clients in situations that tend to, you know, India tends to bring up all of one sort of unresolved patterns and fears and, and dynamics. And so uh, it became a 14 day process where I take a client to India and, and we're on planes and we're on trains. And, you know, in so many ways, it's about really helping people find a sense of real freedom, a sense of freedom that is inside. I think in so many ways in a Western world with our blessed comforts, and I'm blessed to have them myself, you know, uh, we say we're free, but the moment you take away someone's iPhone or the, someone's makeup or someone's car or someone's identity or someone's position, that freedom tends to sort of crumble. And, and, and in so many ways, I think our freedom is conditional or based on so many external things. And so I look at someone like a Mandela who was in prison for 27 years, yet somehow developed an internal reference, an internal strength of finding a true freedom within. And so for me, the journey is about putting people in situations that tend to push up against their conditioning and patterns so that they're forced to find a sort of a level of freedom within. You know, we spend, you know, in 14 days, we're in like 14, 16, 14 to 16 cities, we spend 24 hours in a train station, which doesn't sound like a big deal, but when you haven't slept for three nights and um, I'm processing people at the train station and you know we're dealing with their mother stuff and their father stuff with thousands of people at this train station, and it's just, it's a very beautiful and intense experience. I remember I had a client and, and it's, it's, it's so strange how the universe works, multidimensionally, I had a client who, took great pride in killing animals. But it, was, it wasn't just like, oh, I, I like to do this as a sport. It was, there was a tremendous amount of disrespect for human life, disrespect for the animal kingdom. And he took great pride and ego and like, yeah, I can kill animals. And it was a very machoistic way. And, and, and I think he was very uh, disconnected from his own heart in a sense. And, and so I took him through a lot of different processes of dealing with his father and dealing with his mother and dealing with his childhood, different patterns. And I'll never forget that we were walking through Varanasi. Varanasi is where they burn the dead bodies and where the Ganges is. It said that when a, a, a person from India is dies, they're brought to the Ganges in Varanasi. They don't have to take rebirth again. So here we are walking through the winding streets of Varanasi. And this man's heart is beginning to open and he's beginning to feel again and get in touch with his own emotions again and his inner child, so to speak. And I'll never forget, we were walking and all of a sudden, I don't even know how it happened, but a cow, literally, and here's a guy who's inflicted so much abuse to animals, okay? We're walking through this winding road and a cow literally turns around, attacks this man. It's a crazy experience, turns around, attacks this guy, throws him in the air and we sat there at first in shock and he's crying, like couldn't believe, feeling like a victim. And then he had this huge 
breakthrough as to like what happened what why did i experience that what was that really about and he he got this huge epiphany and breakthrough as to wow this is the sort of karmic energy of what i've put out and and mm -hmm. that's how it feels and he had this huge breakthrough of compassion and as we sat there and he's crying for the pain feeling the pain that he has inflicted mm -hmm. on countless animals countless animals throughout his life senseless violence he's sitting there in tears really feeling and he's apologizing to the spirit of the animal so to speak another cow comes up to him and puts his, its head on his shoulder and it was just like this huge amazing uh shall we say uh karmic you know healing between him and the animals and reconnecting with his heart anyway there were so many amazing experiences that happened on the journey sounds like it so tell me about your was it your first book, You're the One, or was that your second book? Yeah, the, the first book was You Are the One. I'd love to know book. about that. Tell me why you wrote that and what is the message of that book? Because we're all looking for the one, but as you say, you are the one. You're what you're looking for. So tell our audience all about that. Yeah, I mean, the, the essence of the book is really in the title. Mm -hmm. The title is simply You Are the One. And... You know, partly it came from my own life and my own journey of just just so people get a bit of background to understand why the title is, you know, I was born in Ghana, West Africa. My father's from Ghana, my mother's Japanese. I grew up in London. My first memories as a young boy in, London, in Ghana and London was seeing a crippled woman crawling on the floor. And as she was literally crippled, I saw this crippled woman pick up the sand. This man walked on, wiped it on her face and stand up. Week after week, I grew up seeing blind people see and deaf people hear and people stand up out of wheelchairs and you could say miracles. Now, people say, did that really happen? As a young kid, I saw it with my own eyes, no cameras. And this was my father. My father was considered the miracle man of Africa, performed miracles, so to speak. And so I grew up with a very iconic father. And that set me on a quest from a very young age of seeking truth. And that meant going to India and Thailand and meeting gurus and teachers and mystics and rabbis and monks. And I spent so much of my life seeking answers outside of myself, seeking answers from this person and that person and, you know, somewhere else. And there came a moment in my life where I realized that no one's going to do it for me. I realized that no one's going to save me. No one's coming, so to speak. And that if shifts are going to happen in my life, if there's a change that's going to happen in my life, it doesn't mean I can't be inspired by people. It doesn't mean I can't receive help from those around me. But ultimately, the fundamental shift happened for me when I was willing to take complete responsibility for myself and my life in my inner experience. And that's when things began to shift. I remember I was in my early 20s and I just came to the US. I left my father's church. I was supposed to take over his ministry, 300 churches. And when I came to the US, I won a green card. I came to the US and I was unconsciously resentful and furious to my father and felt completely abandoned by my father, but wasn't really conscious of it, but there was so much rage inside. And I remember sitting in a tiny room, mad at the world, mad at God, mad at my father for abandoning me, for not supporting me. And, and, and that's when I really had this huge breakthrough of 
realizing that you know no nobody owes me anything god doesn't owe me anything my parents don't owe me anything life doesn't owe me anything my father doesn't owe me anything and i didn't even know that unconsciously there was a part of me that felt like they owe me my father owes me so there was a sort of unconscious entitlement that i had and as i began to become aware of that something really shifted when i realized that life has given me so much i i've been given so much by life that i'm not even looking at i'm not appreciating i'm not acknowledging my father's already given me so much and there was a huge um forgiveness that i went through in realizing he doesn't owe me anything i'm not entitled he's given me life and he's done the best that he knew how to do based on his culture based on his conditioning based on his upbringing and so as i went through that forgiveness it shifted so much and so for me i think in our world today we're often waiting for someone else to do it for us the guru the teacher our parents uh some other hero when i think we all have the power inside of us and so the book is just a reminder a simple reminder to inspire people to don't look outside look within that we all have the power to change our reality and we all have the power to make a difference you know we all have the power to make a difference by sharing our gifts with the world and i think in so many ways uh we can all make a difference by responding to the need in the moment right now we can all make a difference and some of us we want to do big things and huge things and it's easy to feel a bit helpless but i think if we all say well if i'm the one then what can i do right now if i'm the one then how can i respond to the need that's right in front of me how can i serve the, my community how can i exactly as i am exactly as i'm not what can i do to make a difference in my life right now just starting where we are in the small ways and so you are the one is a kind of a inspiration a rally cry to inspire people to to do that we treated something recently that trying to get someone's approval is a form of control and that if we keep doing that we're the one that ends up being controlled could you talk more about that because we're in, in a world where everyone's checking how many likes have i got how many comments how many followers so when you say that trying to get someone's approval is a form of control, but you're going to end up being the one who's controlled, tell me what you mean by that. You know, I think we spend so much of our time and energy trying to get people to like us. We mm -hmm. spend so much of our time and energy trying to uh, get people to validate us and love us. And in doing so, the danger becomes we end up betraying our truth. We end up lying to ourselves. We end up contorting ourselves to be what we think other people want us to be. And in doing so, we lose ourselves. We lose our truth. We disconnect from our own integrity in order to get that love, validation, and approval. And I think when we do that, we end up controlled. When we do that, even when we get the love that, that we were seeking deep down, when we receive it, it's never truly fulfilling or satisfying because we, deep down, we know that if we've had to betray and be someone else to get that, that the person that they're loving is not really who we truly are. And so that love is, is not even fulfilling. And so uh, spending so much time and energy being someone or trying to fit ourselves in or being what we think we want another to be, 
I think is, is, is where we end up controlled, is where we waste so much time and energy and it's not truly fulfilling. And also, you know, the, the, what I found for myself is people's opinions about us and what people think about us often have nothing to do with us. People's opinions about us, and we spend so much time trying to manipulate other people's opinions. People's opinions about us and how people perceive us reflect more about them than it really does about us. Because as people see us, often they don't really, really see us. They're seeing through the lens of their own perception. They're seeing through the lens of their own conditioning. They're seeing through the lens of their own identity, which is structured a certain way based on their own programming. And so often people see us, but they're not seeing us. They're, they're seeing their projection onto us. And so if they don't even see who we really are necessarily, they don't see our true selves. They don't see our authenticity. All the amount of time we spend trying to get someone's validation and love and approval when they're not really seeing us anyway, I think is is really futile, you know? And, and so when we begin to realize that, wow, what people start, what, how people see us and how people perceive us reflects more about them than it does about us. It has nothing to do with me really, unless we take it on and unless we give it power, I think that can facilitate a deeper understanding and a deeper freedom. And, and we can allow other people to have their own experience because it's their experience, not necessarily the truth about who we are. And I think when we can separate the two, there's more freedom. So tell me, you said something else. You say a lot of things that people might think of as controversial. They certainly make you think. You said, honor the people who cause you pain. And I know you strongly believe that you must honor people who cause you pain. I believe very much in forgiveness, yeah. but tell me more about honoring the person that hurt you, that caused you pain. Uh, why, why would you do that? What's in it for you when you honor the person that caused you pain? Loving your questions, Marissa. Um, you know, I, I think in so many ways, the person that causes you pain in certain ways shows you and reveals to you the parts of yourself that yeah. you get to heal, the parts of yourself that might be unresolved, the parts of yourself. They show you aspects of yourself. And so when I say honor, um, in the moment when you're going through a situation with a person, it can be profoundly painful. But it's often through that pain, through that soul searching, through that heartbreak, through that mirror, through also questioning, you know, wait a second. You know, to me, I believe that relationship in whatever form is a mirror that we tend to attract to us people that are, shall we say, mirror manifestations of ourselves or parts of ourselves or aspects of ourselves. So I found for myself, um, a lens I tend to look through is, okay, there is no relationship out there. There's ultimately a relationship out there with another person that is a projection of my own consciousness. And so I like to see that everyone I attract into my reality, into my life, the person that causes me pain, as a mirror manifestation of a part of myself that I get to look at, that I get to embrace, I get to heal, I get to make peace with, I get to forgive, I get to release. And I think when we can really see that, 
you start realizing, okay, there's no one out there. That person is reflecting something to me. They're showing me something, their feedback, then their appearance in your life, their appearance in your reality becomes a profound gift to show you your fear, to show you your judgment. And so one thing I found helpful is for, for us to ask ourselves, rather than pointing the finger, which keeps us stuck in non-forgiveness, like it's them, they're doing it to me. One thing I found that's helped me to shift is asking myself, what is this person reflecting me about myself? What is this person reflecting me about what I believe within my own consciousness? How is this person showing me an aspect of myself? Because we can't control the other person necessarily, but what we can shift and control is our beliefs, is our consciousness. What we can shift is forgiving parts of ourselves and healing those parts of ourselves that might feel unworthy or unforgivable or unlovable. And I think when we do that, either the mirror changes and we begin to attract different people or we begin to stand up for ourselves and honor ourselves even more, which then allows those people to leave. And so when I say honor, uh, I think, I think honor is just, you know, is, is, is a, is a deep, it's like in a play, if life is a play, you know, in the play, you kind of honor each role, each person's role in your life, because if there was no, uh, villain, there would be no, and I use that word in quotation marks, if there was no villain in the play, there would be no hero, you yes. know, and, and, and so to really honor and say, wow, thank you. That doesn't mean you accept their behavior. That doesn't mean you best friends with them. That doesn't mean you even associate with them ever again, but it's just the, to their soul is honoring their soul to say, thank you, their soul for serving my journey and forcing me and inviting me to look at things within myself. Because if it wasn't that person, if it wasn't that pain, you may not have gone as deep to look at things within yourself and heal. And so that's the honor, honoring their soul for the role that they played in your life. So what's next for you? What are you doing next? You've written your two books, you've been on the Larry King show and Fox show and you've been everywhere. What, what's next? You know, what's next is I'm back in Los Angeles. It's been a a real journey. I mean, what I will say is if you ever write a book about surrender, get ready for the journey and get ready for the ride. Uh, I'm excited about writing a, another book. I'm still uh, kind of marinating on what that's going to be. Uh, speaking, doing online courses, you know, uh, growing, inspiring people around the world. Also uh, developing a hotel concept and and uh, entrepreneurial ventures and real estate and, and, and a wellness hotel that I'm very excited about. Lots of exciting things, things that I didn't expect, you know, and I think life has a way of surprising us. I think so many of the things, so many of the best things that happen to us are things that we may not have planned with our conscious intention. Yeah. So before you have to go, I ask all my guests this, if you could give our audience three tips to master your own mind. What are your own three personal tips that you use or have used to master your own mind? To master my own mind. I would say, um, number one, observe your mind and realize that you are not the mind. And just because a thought is in your mind, I'm not this, I'm not that, whatever that thought or story is, just because a thought is in your mind, doesn't mean it's real. The other thing I would say, and for me, this this has been really profound, is remember each moment that you are going to die. Not as a morbid thing, but just as 
a reality. You're going to die. Okay. Embrace, embrace death. Because I think when we embrace death, it frees us up to get in, to get in touch with the preciousness of each moment. The people in 9-11 had no idea they weren't going to come home that night and maybe look their loved ones in the eyes and so often we think we're going to live forever and mm -hmm. we're not. And so when you embrace death and feel, feel that, embrace it, then you ask yourself, wow, what regrets do I have? What's unsaid? What's unforgiven? And I think it, 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 it can activate an urgency to living each moment as fully as possible with no, with no regrets. Something that's really helped me is just loving fully, you know, that's, that's what I would say. Real simple. I think at the end of one's life, the only thing we're going to really care about is did we love or did we not? Yeah. When my mother was dying, when my mother was dying, the only thing I really cared about was, wow, I wish I had spent more time. So don't underestimate the small things, the small yeah. things, the small things in life along the journey and along the way to the goals that you want to achieve is life itself. So embrace the small things and love fully along the way. My father's favorite quote was in a Beatles song and it said, in the end, the love you take is only equal to the love you make. And I thought that was really lovely. That was always his favorite quote. He had lots simple. of quotes. I loved simple. that, yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah, simple. Well, thank you so much for coming on board. Where can Thanks we find out more about you? Where can our audience find you? Sure, a couple of ways. Um, www.coopblackson.com is my main website, depending on when people listen to this. Obviously, uh, my new The Magic of Surrender is coming out in paperback, and I'm doing a, a special online event on May the 7th. They can go to www.coopblackson.com forward slash reinvent seminar. May the 7th, I'm doing a very special seminar, so people get the paperback, they get to attend the seminar as a, as a gift. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming on. We've learned a lot. It's been very interesting and I shall look out for your new book and maybe join you on May the 7th. Thank you Thank so you. much. Thanks so much.